to episode 212 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of January 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Oh, it's cold. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. You like being cold, Phelan. What are you on about? I do, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Complained when it was like 17 degrees. <laughs> I have to appreciate it now, because in like four months' time, I'll be sweating and dying at like midnight <laughs> and going, why? Why isn't it winter again? <laughs> anyway, let's do some news then. And let's start with some great news for a change. Google Stadia Controller is getting Bluetooth support. Hey, Who knew they listened to the show, hey? <laughs> yeah, so Graham, you've got one of these, and now you're actually going to be able to use it. Yeah, and, and Will mentioned this before. It's a really nice controller. And I don't say that lightly. I'm a bit picky about controllers. Um, the Xbox Elite controllers are good controller. The original PlayStation 2 and 3 ones were good controllers. And I really like the Stadia controller. And I, I have it plugged into my PC here on a USB cable, which is the only way to get it to work as a generic controller for things outside of Stadia. So, And, you know, they've, they've cancelled Stadia. So this was just going to be, you know, for the landfill for a lot of people. And it's great to see Google put in the engineering effort to make it happen. Yeah, and you got it totally for free as well. Yeah, they were really quick, actually. I think it took about five weeks to get... Uh, I got it, you know, for £23 or something. I mm. can't remember exactly what it was with a Chromecast. So it was a bargain as well. But it's a really nice controller. I'm looking forward to using it. Do you think this is Google's attempt to kind of do damage control in terms of their reputation for killing stuff? They kill stuff. <laughs> Or is it just some of the engineers on the team managed to convince management to let them do this? I think it's nice. It's that kind of the old-fashioned Google that was a bit more dynamic and kind of independent thinking in some ways and not always joined up. There must be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these controllers. I don't know. I'm totally guessing. But it's a shocking prospect to think of all of those devices going to complete waste. And I think they did have a kind of moral responsibility. It had the capabilities. They kind of crippled it, I feel. This is just my opinion, on purpose, by not making it a generic Bluetooth controller and tying it so closely to Stadia. And so I think they had a moral obligation to do it, which doesn't normally bother Google, of course. So, yeah, maybe there's a bit of damage limitation but also a bit of conscience bubbling through to the surface probably by mistake <laughs> something which i was surprised by is the amount of feedback to the original post on the stadia forum where they said that they were going to do this and there are pages and pages and pages of people saying we're really going to miss stadia i'm so sad that it's going i love the community it's the best thing that's ever happened for me for gaming and so on and so on and there's a lot of this positive feedback so as much much as we saw the writing on the wall from day one, perhaps, there is a big community out there who, who really have enjoyed using this and have found a community in it. So I do think also Google are grateful to that community and perhaps giving something back to them. It's a bit like Unity, isn't it? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. <laughs> are you sure there were real people, though? <laughs> and they weren't just chat GPT or something? <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> I don't know what I know anymore. Fair point. <laughs> do Android stream of it? Oh, sorry. Couple of Risk Five stories then. Firstly, Google wants Risk Five to be a Tier One Android architecture. This came from a keynote at the Risk Five Summit, and this was in December. It's only been picked up by the tech press in the last couple of weeks, though. And I think this has to be good news. Seeing Android launch on Risk Five, I think, will be the big announcement that Risk Five has arrived and is relevant and is going to be a real thorn in arm side. I reckon. Yeah, and technically you can already boot Android on RISC-V, but that's only to a command line and do basic tests and stuff. 
There's no graphic stack working yet. But in this keynote, Lars Bergstrom talks about how they want to relatively soon, actually, get all of that stuff working. And as the headline says, make it a tier one architecture. I guess that Google take Apple's silicon, M1 silicon, or whatever it's called, as a, a serious threat, perhaps, uh, certainly something they're interested in. I wouldn't be surprised if they've already been working on something behind the scenes. But maybe Risk Five gives them that opportunity to sort of beat Apple at, at something else, either lower power or lower cost or faster or all of those things. I guess it's a, a lever for Google to be able to pull on. I think it's more about China, really, and the trade wars and everything. Because Risk Five is this open instruction set, and you've got a bunch of Chinese companies making Risk Five SOCs. If they can make the Android open source project available for Risk Five, then yeah, they might not be able to license all the proprietary shit on top of it in the Play Store and everything, but they will at least continue to be a huge presence in China so that then when the trade war ends, if it does ever end, and sanctions are lifted and everything, then they can start putting the Play Store back on there. And at least it means you've got this huge market that is still using at least some version of Android. That's a good point. Although I imagine they can easily legislate against things like that if they wanted to in the US. And to add a slightly cynical air to this, when Google says they want something to be tier one something, I always feel like they're just jumping on some kind of bandwagon or trying to capture, perhaps they're behind the curve on it, or perhaps they just want to say words. I'd much rather them do something and show it than say things like this, as good as, good as it is in theory. Well, I don't think that the tier one stuff was supposed to be the headline. I think the headline was, we're working on it, we've got this basic command line demo, check it out. And this is at the Risk 5 Summit. This mm. is among friends, as yeah. it were. And it's just the tech press has just found this one line yeah, and, the, uh, and okay. made a big deal of it. Very cynical, Graham. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't some Google press release saying tier one or whatever. It's, you know, it's just something that uh, this guy, Lars Bergstrom, kind of, not let slip, but, you know, said to uh, a group of industry people at a conference. Okay, I'll reserve judgment. <laughs> well, I, a cynical person could say he knew it was being filmed. He knew using that phrase would get it out there. So, I don't know. I'm on the fence with your cynicism. Talk is cheap. Let's let's wait and see. Yeah. Well, the other Risk Five story, uh, I kind of skimmed, but we'll take it away. Oh, I'm very, very, very excited about this. <laughs> ESP are coming out with a Risk Five based module and they've also got the development boards up on aliexpress now i say up on aliexpress they've sold out the only person that's got them for sale is somebody with zero feedback and about six or seven boards for sale so perhaps a scalper but nevertheless this is the beginning now this is the where we see these boards start landing in people's um well drawers frankly and um <laughs> becoming toys but so that the new module is the esp32 c6 32-bit risk 5 processor clocked at 160 megahertz it's got 512 meg of uh, sorry 512k of ram 
2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi 6, so it does all the new beamforming and jazz. It's got Bluetooth 5, low energy, and it's got a Zigbee radio on board as well, which Ooh. is very cool. Um, all of these share an antenna, and that's going to be a bit noisy, so I reserve judgment on how well it will work, but it, they're on there. That's the main thing. Maybe you use one or the other, perhaps not all three at the same time. It's also got USB-C host port on board. It's also got an R. This is the development board now. It's got an RGB addressable LED on board as well. Mm. So rather than just you know the classic flashing red light to show it's on, you've now got like 256 colours to play with. <laughs> very very cool. Uh, all of this is is exciting. Uh, the downside is you can't really buy them yet, and the other downside is that the tool chain doesn't support it, and so Arduino doesn't support it. <laughs> But it's supposed to be coming in version 5.1 of the SDK. We're currently at version 5, so 5.0. So there's a good chance that in the next, I don't know, month or so, that all the toolchain will roll out and then Arduino will add support and then platform.io will add support and so on and so on. So I think that this is the first massively successful hobbyist board that you can buy 15 quid i think the price will come down to probably more like a tenner and then they'll be everywhere it didn't even last a week not even a week <laughs> you know joe was going to get a point well you weren't supposed to mention it were you but we all knew you were going to and yeah this also means that i am probably going to get my point if you manage to get hold of one and put it into production somewhere but i've got you know 11 months so i'm hopeful Come on, Royal Mail hackers, <laughs> keep those posties away. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. You know the old saying, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? The traditional approach to device security is that hammer, a blunt instrument that can't solve nuanced problems. Even after installing clunky agents that uses hate, IT teams still have to deal with mountains of support tickets over the same old issues and they have no way to address things like unencrypted SSH keys, OS updates, or pretty much anything that goes on with a Linux device. Collide is an endpoint security solution that's more like a Swiss Army knife. It gives IT teams a single dashboard for all devices, Mac, Windows, and even Linux. You can query your entire fleet to check for common compliance issues or write your own custom checks. Plus, instead of installing intrusive software that creates more work for IT, Collide's lightweight agent shows end users how to fix issues themselves. You can achieve endpoint compliance by adding a new tool to your toolbox. Visit collide.com slash late night Linux to find out how. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. Now, I hate to do this, but I have to shit on OMG Ubuntu and Joris Snedden specifically. For his article, the future of ZFS on Ubuntu desktop is not looking good. And the first line in it, I hate to say it, but it looks like Ubuntu on ZFS is a dead effort. This was shared around loads and republished and copied by people and is, you know, has really taken hold. And I have to take a stand as a ZFS zealot, a, a recently <laughs> converted ZFS zealot. Blink if you're under duress from Alan and <laughs> Jim. No, no, I'm not under uh -huh. duress. Like, look, th this is fucking bullshit. Look, we all knew that ZFS on root on Ubuntu and ZSys was dead in the water, but ZFS is alive and well, yeah. just not necessarily on root. But there they are solutions. ZFS boot menu is a perfectly viable solution if you want to 
use it on route. It's a bit more complicated than it was ZSYS, but ZSYS was always fucking half-baked anyway. Just don't do it. Just keep all of your data on ZFS and just leave the OS as a easily blast awayable and reinstalled image if you really make a balls of it. But honestly, who's trashing a machine that often these days? I just don't get it. Yeah, especially on Ubuntu. So I, I didn't like this article. It was a bit sort of clickbaity, a bit kind of not that well researched and it was just a bit disappointing, really, from Joe. The thing I would like to see if, you know, they have finally given up on this would be for them to actually match the tools to the kernel version of ZFS that they do and have, like, a hardware-enabled tools version too because it's still the old tools with the new kernel. That's really annoying. That's if they're taking orders and, you know, I can have one, please. Well, for me, ZFS works absolutely perfectly on Ubuntu. There's no fucking DKMS bollocks. It all just works fine but for my data, not for my OS. Sure, your OS will be all read-only soon anyway. Don't Isn't that right? Hopefully. Mm. Never. <laughs> Too right, never. Never my dead body. <laughs> all right, dinosaurs. Just you wait. Well, we'll be right. <laughs> I'm with Joe on that one. Shut up. <laughs> I already am, literally on the Steam Deck. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, next time you uh, do some development work on the Steam Deck, come back to me, but otherwise I don't believe you. Yeah, but you can. It's just like a diff layer on top of the read-only. <sighs> the thing I don't get, right, the read-only <laughs> bit is the bit that's not important. Much like my OS partition. I don't care about it. I can just reinstall it. It's my data, the read-write bit, that's the bit that I don't want to lose. To which is extent. not the bit that the protects. But I'm still continually fucking up my systems with packages installed from God knows where and configuration files that I've done something to in the live part that I never meant to and I completely <laughs> forgot about or copied in Take configuration backups. files from 20 years ago. <laughs> if, I, if it was just, you know, I couldn't touch it. It, it would solve a few problems, especially if it was on other people's machines. Just set the computer in concrete, problem solved. I'm not saying it would be the answer for every installation, but I think it's a neat solution to some things. Never. Well, and you also using it on your Mac, don't forget, Graham. Yeah, yeah. And on Android. I've heard there's a lot of really buggy updates since 13.1 on the Mac, so... Uh, <laughs> but anyway, ZFS on Ubuntu is fine, just not ZSYS and not directly in the installer. You don't really want to use ZFS in Rome anyway. It's fine. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And sometimes you get episodes early. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Now, this show does have a Twitter account, but it is now dormant, officially. With all the shit that's been going on at Twitter, and the last straw being this blocking of third-party clients, which looks to be deliberate and just Musk being a prick, it's kind of enough is enough, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to start deleting accounts and stuff, because you never know, it could get better, someone new could come along, and it could all become great again. We could wake up. <laughs> yeah, we could wake up. Exactly. But just don't expect a lot of activity on Twitter. I will still post the show announcements on my personal Twitter, at Joe Ressington. I'm trying to use Twitter less personally and trying to use Mastodon more. So joerest.com slash Mastodon, that forwards on to my Fosterdon account. So yeah, just go over there. We don't have an account for the shows on Mastodon. That was always a bit clunky anyway. Because you lot never fucking do anything. It's all me anyway. So just <laughs> fucking follow me. 
And uh, if you've got shit to say to the other hosts or whatever, then I'll forward it on so you can just at me. But just fuck Twitter at this point. But also, uh, you know, storming off is never sensible, is it? Just leave it dormant and just hope for the best. And maybe we'll all go back there when the nightmare's over. Let's do some discoveries then. Graham, you've been playing with tiling on KDE even more than before. As most listeners might know, I use a script called KWIN tiling on uh, my Plasma desktop to kind of simulate an i3 tiling environment uh, with no window borders and keyboard shortcuts and master windows. Now, I've used KWIN tiling for years. It's absolutely brilliant, but it's now archived. The developer no longer wants to maintain it. And while there are quite a few forks and there are some people who have done some forward pushes on those forks, it doesn't really appear to be going anywhere. In particular, there's not going to be Wayland support for when that finally stabilizes on my system. So I have been looking more actively at something that will replace KWIN tiling. I want the same kind of no-nonsense, almost 100% tiling solution that I can still use in KDE. And KZones gets the closest, and it also happens to be the easiest to use the kind of the shallowest onboarding ramp for tiling if you're at all interested in it. And it has a lovely GUI and you don't really have to learn anything beforehand. You install the script through the um, KD scripts settings panel and then zones are created in the configuration panel. So that means you set a percentage width for a column and for a row and how many columns and how many rows. And you can create as many of those layouts as you want. And then you can assign keyboard shortcuts to those layouts. But the best thing is that there's an on-screen display for where those zones are on the desktop. And you can drag and drop windows to those zones and they'll lock and expand to those places. And you can assign keyboard shortcuts to move them around. And it's all very visual and intuitive and very KDE. And it helps you maximize your space if you've no interest in really going down the real nerdy tiling route. It's brilliant. I think it, it should be built into KD by default, in fact. It's the best one I've used. Fadim, why aren't you using any of this? I think it's because I never learned to touch type. And I should have, and I still should, and I think I should probably, the best time to learn it was like years ago, but the next best was tomorrow. But uh, I am inherently lazy, and I think I wouldn't quite get the value at this because I would still be looking at my keyboard and I might as well just use the mouse and look at the screen. I don't know. Maybe that's a really terrible, lame sort of excuse. But this is the best of both worlds then, because in those zones, you get a preview of where the, the window's going to go and you don't have to do it. And if you don't lock it to that preview and you can choose to either drag the title bar into a zone, into the whole section, the cursor into the zone, there's loads of options so that you can still have floating windows and some locked windows and you can change the layout. It's it's not really a tiling window manager replacement it's a bit of a halfway house right. it's still not a replacement for kwin tiling but it's got that kind of nice kde feel to it that i think will bring a lot of people to the idea that they can have maximized windows in multiple columns and ultra wide displays or multiple displays the funny thing is i kind of do this in my own manual i've i've set up many but i have everything remember where it should go and like certain mm. applications get dumped onto every set of virtual desktops and stuff like that <sighs> maybe i should just try it on a, a fresh install or create a new user and then just try it out. But then there would be change and uh, I'm not <laughs> sure I can do change. <laughs> I should try it maybe. Maybe I'll set myself a challenge, not for next week, but maybe for 
a few months down the road, I'll have hopefully tried it by then. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Will, Archimedes Live. Yeah, so Stuart Langridge put me onto this just today, in fact, and it's a port of Arculator, a complete but somewhat difficult to get your head around Acorn Archimedes emulator. And this is a port to Wasm, so it runs inside your web browser, which is quite extraordinary. It boots into RiscOS 3. It's also got the original Arthur OS uh, images on there as well. You can run an A3000 or an A5000. There's a few disk images available on that website as well, although weirdly not all of them work. In fact, I would say most of them don't work, which is a bit odd, but maybe it's early days yet. So yeah, it's it's quite impressive though. Sound works, the graphics works, it runs at a decent speed. And so yeah, here we are, you know, I don't know, 30 years later, and you're able to emulate uh, an entire Acorn Archimedes in a web browser. It's amazing. Uh, Will, can I ask you a quick question? Um, how do I get my cursor out of Archimedes Live? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you press escape. It is escape. Oh, that's it, that's it, thanks. Colon, W, Q, exclamation mark. Up arrow. Well, that's the thing I like most about it. When you click on it in Firefox, you get this pop-up that says, Medes.live has control of your pointer. Press escape to take back control. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I feel like 52% of people would have worked that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with that. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> well, I was playing with this while Graham was going on about the uh, tiling stuff in KDE. And I came up with a masterpiece in the paint program. <laughs> Is it a cock and balls? Is it wasming all <laughs> over the place? I have a look in Telegram. It's a cock and balls. <laughs> <laughs> but very crudely drawn cock and balls, yes. And now we know how wasm is pronounced as well, and I think that image is quite fitting. <laughs> <laughs> you should try the draw package because then you can get circles and um, semicircles and um, ellipses a bit easier. Oh, I do love a semi. <laughs> Let's do quick KDE and XFCE corners again. <laughs> See what I did there. Get your own corner. <laughs> no, I'm hijacking yours. I don't care. Bastard. So my XFCE thing is that Zubuntu is going to have a minimal image, which is going to be separate from the standard minimal installation, which is a bit weird because it installs everything and then uninstalls the shit that you don't need. It's pretty inefficient. But the plan for this is to have a Zubuntu image, which fits on a CD again. And it's been an awfully long time since that was possible. It seems a bit lofty, that goal, and a bit arbitrary, but 
it's still pretty cool nonetheless and I thought was worth flagging up and worth ruining your KDE corner over. Yes, because, uh, you know, as we know, XFC users wouldn't even go as advanced as a DVD drive. They'd have to be stuck back there on CD-ROM land, huh? Yeah, exactly. No, but it's it's always cool to see people considering making things lighter. And, you know, we've seen this creep of the ISO size now that people have got, you know, it's so cheap for a 16 gigabyte USB drive. You know, you don't even think about buying one. And so they can just make these ISOs massive. But there's certain people in certain parts of the world, people on mobile connections or whatever, where this could come in really handy. So I applaud the uh, Ubuntu project. Well done. Mm. Hi, yeah. All right, let's do the KDE stuff then. KDE PIM for November and December. Yeah, uh, one cool thing about this is that 23 people committed about uh, 1,200 code changes to this, which I thought was quite good wow. because often... PIM has seen like the boring thing that's solved and why are we not all using Gmail? Well, apparently some people still have principles, so I'm all for that. <laughs> well, some people access Gmail over LDAP. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, so uh, they're doing work on infrastructure to try to break out a few reusable components, like the assistance features like autocorrect, grammar, translation and text-to-speech. They left out spell check because that's already done. But I think it's nice to see that because then that would mean that if you've got another application, you could use it. So Kmail could use the one and also KOffice could use it as well. Things like that. So that's quite cool. There's loads of fixes gone into Kmail and Calendar. Calendar is also using Kirigami now. A lot of the stuff is moving towards Kirigami, which is good because it improves the speed of development and fixes and making it simpler, code base, etc. And uh, Cleopatra, which is the sort of key signing stuff for emails, etc., has a whole new workflow put in, made a whole simpler interface to it to make it easier for you to say what keys you trust or don't trust and what things should happen that way with what various encryption standards. So, yeah, nice to see made a bit user-friendly bit. It is still encryption, but anyway. <laughs> All right. A couple of posts from Nate, as usual, then. Yeah, Nate had a couple of really good ones. There's some cool swipe stuff coming into the media widget, which is obviously for things like the phone or touchscreens, whatever. There are more rights in Kirigami again. System settings are getting uh, lots of fixes to help with the sort of... There's some badly designed screens in there, or maybe not badly is probably a bad word for it, but they're improving the whole usability of it all. They also have touch fixes for when you're in global edit mode. So there was a few features that you couldn't actually reach properly if you went into touch mode, which seemed a bit unhelpful that it would be inaccessible. So they fixed that up. So that's there now. And a cool little feature, like if you go to a file dialog and in the directory thing, you accidentally paste the entire path to the file rather than sit there and go, that's not a directory. It now goes, I assume you wanted to open that file and opens the file for you, which I thought is quite nice. And they're also doing things like there's the Hebrew calendar, which you can now enable on your own, which is very mind-bending because the, the image of it is two dates for every day, which is very strange, but there you go. They've done updates to documentation. There's a few different pages that have had some really good stuff, but one of them is how to flat pack your app. That's quite cool as well. And I thought this, especially for Will, KRunner can convert between weights of fabric. Now, I don't know if they've gotten around to acres of laptops yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. And uh, one for uh, Sil, who is apparently unable to store his background wallpaper on the drive that he boots from. The uh, If he chooses to use the uh, image of the day thing, there's a warning that some of the sources don't have not safe for work images. Now, I assume that's not just 
booby things, but I'd say <laughs> it could be something gruesome as well. <laughs> uh, I think there's another domain for you to buy, mm. Will, boobythings.com. <laughs> All right, and uh, it seems to be the Risk Five episode today because Plasma is running on the Vision 5 too. Yeah, so this is quite cool. I had actually looked this board and I'd sent it into our private chat to see could I spur on Will buying it. But apparently you can't get them for love nor money, so that was the end of that pretty quick. But the Vision 5 2, I think it's called, yeah. One of the developers there has got that working. They've got something like three or four weeks off, so they're trying to see how far they can get with it. But uh, it's actually running smoother than a Pi 4, which is quite interesting, given that it's not, it doesn't appear to be as powerful a system, but apparently it seems to run better. Uh, obviously, there's various bits, and the kind of bootstrapping it now is a bit trickier, but uh, they're confident that it should have uh, at least a Risk Five system available, and they have a cool screenshot of it running Plasma Big Picture, or Plasma Big Screen, whatever it's called. Yeah, well, that one on it at the moment on a test screen, so yeah, it could be a quite a cool development board pretty soon. And uh, Academy 2023 is going to be in Greece. It is. So uh, it's from Saturday the 15th to Friday the 21st of July, and it's in the University of Macedonia in Thessaloniki in Greece. I don't know if I said any of those things correct, but that's where it is. And if you can, go to it. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll have some more discoveries and maybe some feedback and who knows. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.